Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Woodstock, Georgia, it's time for Cherokee Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Welcome to this very special edition of Cherokee Business Radio. Stone Payton here with you this afternoon, and I am delighted to bring back into the Business Radio X studio with Beckshot. Mr. Randy Beck. He's going to be our host today. How are you, man? I'm doing great, Stone. Thanks for having us back. I'm bringing the gang, actually. Uh, Robert Mason and Stacy Wyatt, they've been here before, and we're circling back on real estate topics again. So, Stacy Wyatt, owner and uh, broker of EXP over in Roswell. Yes, yes, yes. And Robert Mason, real estate broker extraordinaire with EXP. Yes, sir. I'm here. All ears. So I guess the topic on everybody's mind, let's get it out of the way right out front, interest rates. What's going on? Okay. So historically speaking, interest rates have been anywhere between seven and nine and a half percent. So if you look at since the 1930s to the present day, um, I know we went through some incredible low periods of time and people were ecstatic. People were, the, the lending institutions were refinancing a lot of people out of five and six and sevens, but there's been a lot of panic uh, and a lot of people associate the Fed's markups with the with the interest rates in the mortgage industry, and that's not fair because that's not parallel. Um, so interest rates, I checked today, they're under six percent, which is a really good a really good uh, percentage. What people are failing to realize is when you've got a one point seven five or two percent interest rate on a mortgage, you don't have a whole lot of deductions when you do your taxes. And so historically speaking, rates are still low at, say, 5.5 to 6. And now we're having you, – you've got a much bigger uh, income tax deduction when you do your taxes because of the interest rate. So basically what you're pointing out is that even though we had this super low trough of interest rates where we had our 2 and 3% mortgages or whatever they were, yep. that the fact that they've jumped up to 5, 5.5, 6 – is not necessarily a big change. No, it's not a game changer. Uh, and I was looking at the numbers of uh, houses that have sold this year, opposed to 2021, 2022, or 2020. And we are roughly at the same inventory, moving the same amount of inventory, regardless of the interest rates. And, you know, COVID opened up a lot of opportunity for people to move places. In Atlanta, we got about 120,000 people that moved here. And looking at the data, I'm very analytic driven. We're going to roughly do about the same movements. Now, analytically speaking, you know, an interest rate. It's a big word I mean, for me. You're, you're doing leverage on a house, right? It's like a, this is like a bond. It's a big it, word. Interest rates up, prices, what happens to prices? This is, um, it's got to affect price. Yeah. Well, prices have actually backed down a little bit. Um, the average price in Atlanta four months ago was $400,000. we are down to about 385000 as the average number. That's not me saying it. It's not Robert Mason's numbers. Those are FMLS data numbers that I brought for everybody to look at as well. Um, so, yeah, prices have dipped back down. When my wife and I bought our STR, short-term rental property at Big Canoe, Harley Sideway, a couple of months ago, when the house came on the market, it was listed at 550 where there was that big shift in late June, early July, we got the house for 485 because prices had come back down, which was a win for us and it's going to be a win for my clients. Did you have an appraisal issue? Is that how you got it back down? Yeah, the appraisal came in at four eighty five, where it was listed at five fifty. Mm-hmm. The seller was horrified. We were grateful. I guess that was based on what was going on in market prices, based on interest rates. Yeah, yeah things had shifted over 
about a 30 day period um, and pretty steep. Yeah. Stacy, how are you seeing these effects in the general market? You know, you, your brokerage covers a lot of ground. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah. Um, from a sales price, though, we've got to be a little bit careful because um, if you're looking at it on a monthly basis, you know, which is, I think, what Robert is taking a peek at was it does appear the prices have come down. Um, I think the better way to look at sales prices is on a 12-month rolling average, right? So you can sure. take 12 months. Because if you look at it on a 12-month rolling average, prices are still trending upward um, because I think what we're seeing a little bit right now is seasonality, right? If you go back and look at 2020 is a little, you got to throw that one out because that was COVID, but 2021, 2019, from June to October, prices have gone down every single year. So I think there's a little bit of seasonality playing in, but let's face it, long-term with rates, and they're hovering around seven right now, soon to, we'll see what the Fed does in November. It's ultimately going to push prices downward, but you know, are we, we're definitely not going to see the price growth like last year, what we saw like 20%. Um, you know, is that getting down to eight to 10 or a little bit lower? Or are we just going to get back to what Atlanta has been for the last two decades, which is three to 6% growth, which is. We don't have a, a crystal ball, but at least in Atlanta, Georgia, I think we're going to get to where prices flatten out and we get back to a little bit of a healthier three to three to six percent appreciation. Last time you guys were here, we talked about people moving into Atlanta, like on the order of 150,000 people a year nowadays, something like that. It's 120, 120,000. And so my, my, we talked about the outlook for the market with that many people coming in. Now it strikes me that some changes happen in the market. You get a little speed up, a little slow down or whatever. With that kind of demand for housing, there's no way anybody can keep up. So my feeling is we'll be less affected here than other markets may be. Sure. Yeah. What do you think? I, I would agree hundred percent Atlanta. I mean, was it was either fortune or money magazine just voted Atlanta's the number one city to be in. And for all the reasons that we love to live here, it's what I tell my team. It's like, our rate's going to have an impact, of course. It's going to be in the high-dollar markets first. It's going to be in what I call like the Rust Belt states, you know, the Ohio's, the, where people are all leaving, right? Nothing against Ohio or, or that. It's just reality. <laughs> Everybody's coming to the Sunshine states from if you drew uh, you know, Sun Belt, which to me is like from Phoenix, draw the smiley face from Phoenix to Atlanta. And for all the reasons like I enjoy living here, you know, it's a low cost of living, housing's still relatively cheap. Uh, we got access to oceans, to beach, to uh, lakes, to pretty much everything you want. And it's a very pro business environment. So that's why everybody's moving here. So I do think we're going to be impacted the least in the country, uh, mainly just because of the demographics um, and the pro business environment. So yeah, hundred percent, I think Atlanta is going to survive this better than anyone in the country for sure. Atlanta really hasn't seen much of a recession compared to the other business markets. Has it? No COVID changed things in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, one of the main things that it did for, the U.S. in particular, is you don't have to live in New York City to work on Wall Street. You don't have to live in Chicago to work on the mile. You can go anywhere that you want to go, and you can literally work out of your home. You can go to Florida and have a office or your, your main gig in New York City or any state in the union. And that is a big, big plus, especially for us in the real estate business, because – just like Stacey just said, people are coming to the Sunshine States. They're coming down south where the weather's good. I mean, I've got clients coming out of California, and they've sold a 3-2 that's 1,500 square feet, and they sold it for a million eight. And they say, okay, Robert, where are we going? And I'll show them something that's 550 or 650, and they're like, what's wrong with it? 
And I'm like, well, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a, a scale. You got it. You're scaling back price wise. And so Georgia, Atlanta, in particular, the greater Atlanta area, and that's what we're here to talk about, is, um, has been found. You know, uh, there, it was that everybody was going to Florida. We see Hurricane Ian. You know, that was a, was a big interrupter down there. And 2008 really took the shine off of Florida um, for a long period of time. And people, you know, there's a reason to come to Atlanta besides just the nice weather and the low taxes. You look at the Fortune 500 companies that are based here. I mean, we are expanding big, big time, and um, it's still affordable. I mean, look, average price house right now, three eighty-five, four hundred thousand. That's nothing if you're in New York or Pennsylvania or New Jersey. And um, yeah, and back to something that Stacey, or California or, or Cal- Washington oh or Oregon. Oregon. Right. So, getting back to some of those numbers, we talked about growth. Stacy mentioned some of those numbers. My forecast is we could have a minus six price. Reduction from where we were up to say a positive five percent. I think we're going to be in that range. You're not going to see eighteen to twenty percent appreciation levels like we saw for like two or three years, and so that's what people are going to have to estimate. Would that constitute a normal market here when when you're giving those numbers? Is that what that, you would call a normal market, or is that still hot? Or well, Atlanta's hot because of the numbers, right? So there's a couple of different variables. Um, is that normal five percent appreciation? Probably yes. And I would, you know, from a appreciation standpoint, absolutely three to 6% and it depends, right? Like Metro Atlanta and total has been, I think on average 3%, uh, somewhere between three and six or the last couple of decades. Obviously if you're in Buckhead, you're probably going to get a little in town, always typically pulled a little more. Whereas you go out and maybe the outer stretches of Metro Atlanta, maybe it's a little less like three, but for all the reasons we described earlier, um, I don't see how Atlanta um, really suffers greatly, even if prices were to pull back a little bit, just for everybody's moving here. In Buckhead, it's an interesting model to look at moving forward. Um, Buckhead is talking about becoming their own city, right? Pulling away from Atlanta, like so many other folks, Woodstock. I mean, there's, you know, people, people are talking about Buckhead becoming their own city, and there's a lot of variables to that too. Right now, they've got some issues in Buckhead. Um, associated with crime. And there's a lot of people that I know down in Buckhead who are like, I'm getting out of here. And these are people with money and they're just tired of the nonsense. So yeah, but pulling up the tent stakes and moving to Milton, they're getting yeah. this moving farther North. Cause they, I mean, Woodstock. if you can't comfortably jog down in front of uh Linux mall and not get shot just cause you were jogging, which is an unfortunate situation there. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of a COVID thing too, where a lot of people are moving up in the Northern burbs, getting a little bit of land. They can work from anywhere now. So it's an interesting dynamic for sure. It is. Stacy. a minute ago, you mentioned seasonality. So Atlanta's this great outdoor lifestyle city. We got weather most of the time. It's never really that cold. It doesn't rain overly much. It's a fantastic place for outdoor lifestyle and, and all that. How much seasonality do you have through the winter here, typically? Um, typically, the most homes sold in Georgia is always second quarter. Second best quarter is fourth quarter, right? Uh, first quarter is always the least. I mean, who's really out shopping during December to write, con- you know, to write an offer and close in January, February? And then third quarter typically is the uh, third best quarter. And third quarter lands in July. I mean, if you're in the burbs, you're finishing vacation, you're getting ramped up since we start school er- earlier here. Yeah. Um, but there really is no, is there seasonality? Of course, right? Just fewer people that want to buy in the fourth quarter because you got the holidays, your kids are in school, you're likely not wanting to move, but we're a very pro-business environment. 
we get a lot of relocations into Georgia. I mean, I, I think 20% of our clientele is from California this year. Yeah. So is there seasonality? Sure. But it's not like we have to shovel, you know, eight feet of snow to show a house in December. I mean, hell December here, I'm usually in shorts and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, you know, a it's true. pullover, but you know, January is usually our cold month. So we do have seasonality, but man, people are buying and selling, you know, all four quarters of a year here. Things have changed a little bit. Okay. Before we move on to other topics, uh, accounting for seasonality, interest rates, slowdowns, general business, you know, environment. Uh, here's the rapid fire question part. Uh, good areas for people moving into where, where should they be looking at? I guess it to make, starts to with, make money, not, not the nicest area, but where's, where's the, where's the economic opportunity at? Well, like, you would have to ask if, do they have a family? Our school's important. Um, so that would be the first question. I've got a client that's coming in from Florida, uh, from South Beach next Tuesday. And she's like, we want to be in the North Georgia mountains. And that is a huge switch for her. Okay. Six, $700,000 purchase for them and moving to the mountains opposed to the beach. I would ask, you know, what is important? And, you know, like your, your purchase down in near the Beltline, you know, that, that area, that Pittsburgh area down there is really, really growing. So there's really good opportunity at the price points that you could buy property down there. And if you're looking to live there or is it uh, something you want long-term wealth on, all these questions are going to come up in the first five minutes of us talking to you. When I got here, flips were huge, hot. Is that still, is that still a hot market? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're still flipping quite a bit. Uh, we're, we're being patient and I tell my team any, cause you know, we do quite a few flips is we're definitely making sure we're buying a deeper discount right now because we don't know what price is going to here. I think a lot of flippers are going to get exposed over the next 90 days for this reason. You got a lot of people that hadn't flipped before got in the business. They could make a lot of mistakes and they were going to be saved because prices were running out of control. Now that prices have pretty much, let's just say they've stalled at, at, you know, at worst, let's just say they've stalled. I still going to make the argument that they're slightly going up. Um, we just want to buy at a deeper discount because we know what our fix what our expenses are. And we, we, we always buy knowing what our ARV or after repair value going into it. And we stick to that. We don't assume that the market's going to go up. I think a lot of people have assumed. Um, so I think those are going to get exposed, but to answer your question is this, I think it's a tale of two markets right now. People's houses that are in great condition and priced right, we're still probably getting two, three offers on, right? It's no, it's no longer the 15 offers and selling for 50 grand over list. A properly priced house that's in good condition is still going to garner a few offers because we've still only got two months of inventory, which is low, right? Six months is balanced. One zero months is no supply, which is a heavy seller. So we're still in a strong seller's market. Now, with that being said, here's the other market. If your house is hasn't been maintained, you got deferred maintenance, you got a wonky floor plan, right? Buyers have already suffered. They're, first of all, they have a little bit of P- PTSD from um, four months ago when they were having to pay fifty grand over list. There are no contingencies. Um, now they've got rates that are you know going sky high, so they're being a little more picky now. So if your house is not right, so. Me personally, where I think there's opportunity from anybody moving into the land market, you're going to have the 80% of the crowd that wants a a house that's perfectly ready, move in and not have to do any work. If you had an investor hat on or you wanted somebody came in and said, I want a little bit of opportunity, 
I'm going to tell you going a little farther outskirts of Atlanta, you know, maybe like Powder Springs to the west, maybe Snellville to the east, uh, typically in areas that schools might not be as great, right? Because we know that drives a lot of house values. Look for the little ugly ducklings because they're probably sitting. And if you have cash, it's even better because you're not affected by rates. Sellers are going to get a little more desperate in that end. And I think some people are going to be able to get some discounted houses for a very good price that they could be walk into some equity. Because um, I think what happens long term here, it's going to be interesting. I think first quarter is going to be a little bit of a hot mess, especially if rates go up again in November. Um, by the end of the year, I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a little pent up demand because they're artificially tamping down. Well, they're, they're artificially tamping down demand, right? Because we know inflation's out of control. Exactly. They claim it's 8%. Last time I checked at the pump, at the grocery store, buying a car, buying a house, it's 20%. And I don't, I mean, for political reasons, obviously they're not going to advertise that. Wait, well, we <laughs> you're know. on the radio though. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're so, advertising. Anybody so, that ever had an economics course knows you don't clamp down on supply to kill inflation or print yeah. more money to kill inflation. Correct. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, what yeah, have we yeah. printed like 40% in the last, 40% of our money supply in like the last five, six years? Yeah, two years actually. But yeah. Yeah, a lot in that time. So just from that standpoint, I think it's going to get really interesting next year. I do think maybe towards the end of the next year, we'll see third, fourth quarter. Some are saying second. I just don't think it's going to happen that quick. Maybe third, fourth next year when they actually are going to have to step off the brake or step off the gas on, on pumping the, the uh, rates. I think there's going to be a little bit of pent up demand for all these people that have been sitting on the side because inventory still, that's why it's such a wonky market. Rates yeah. are high and, in, and inventory slow. So you got a feeling that that's going to pop and some people are going to be able to ride that up at a later date. Yeah. Are, are the lenders clamping down based on interest rates too? What's, what's their strategy now? Well, I think they're just trying to hold on. Um, I worked out with my lender, Brad Hartman over at Cornerstone Mortgages this morning and we talk, we're talking shop all day long while we're working out. And I'm like, Brad, what, what are the lenders thinking about? And he's like, well, you know, there's a lot of people that panicked early two months ago. Oh my God. Five, five and a half, six percent interest rates, and, and then that they the the fear factor sets in, but kind of tails off, and people still need to move. Uh, Randy, they just, you know, if you're in Philadelphia, or if you're in California, and your tax rates have gone up sixteen, twenty percent, like New York City, you've got to get out. You've got to save yourselves. So you're going to look for a market like Atlanta, and you're going to pay the piper. You know, and that's in the interest rate. But again, I'll get back to you've got a bigger deduction. So that's a way I soften that. And it's not just me. It's just it's reality, right? Um, the lenders always fear change. We all fear change, right? Um, but I think that's settling down. I think back to your original question on um, what are we looking for as far as opportunity? Part of the flipping issue and part of like the STR, the short-term rental and investment portfolios, the problem is labor costs, labor availability, and being able to get things done quickly. And that has been a real bugaboo for our business for a while. I mean, look at – if you're looking for wood, you know, we, we're having all kinds of supply chain issues uh, and inflation and cost of a piece of board has gone up dramatically, and people have not put that into their recipe, and they haven't done their homework right in a lot of cases. And so they end up at the end game, like when I got my STR, she didn't expect to spend that much, and she did, and it, and it ended up being a case where she had to sell, and we got it. Um, those are problems for people. Here's something that we're going to see early next year is we're going to see some inventory of foreclosures. 
a lot of companies looking at their stock portfolios. Um, they're not expanding like they were. Matter of fact, they're contracting. They're letting people go. There's a lot of people out there that are hurting because of inflation, and you're going to see you're going to see some foreclosures pop up. And I thought they were going to pop up earlier this summer, and it kind of didn't happen. Even here in a strong business environment, you're still going to see that. Even example. here. Okay. And so yeah. you're going to see some opportunity on foreclosures. Would yeah, that and, be happening and, at the low end of the market or the high end or sort of broad-based? Kind of both. Yeah, I mean, in any – whether it's the healthiest market or the worst market, I mean, because we look at foreclosures all the time. I do think there are going to be some foreclosures, but let's face it. The banks learned a big lesson in 8, 9, 10, and 11. Working with their clients. Anything that may come out of that, because I get people ask me all the time, well, I'm going to wait. Market, some people are going to get hammered. Stock market's got hammered. People are going to lose their jobs, and there's going to be opportunity, right? And there will be a little bit. I just think the banks learned a big lesson, and they're going to, just like Robert said, they're going to spend more time trying to figure a work out. Because at the end of the day, banks don't want to take houses back. They're not in the home business, home selling business, nor do they want to dilute house values, which when they dumped all that inventory at mass back in when I got into the market in 2010, it really hurt house prices, right? And then that's why we've had such a ramp up since. So it was a 10-year I think you'll loss. see a little bit. It was. In, in equity of 2008, when let's just say that's a crash, your um, value went all the way back to 1998. And that was a big sum. And if you look at it, because even if you drew, if you look at house prices over the last three decades, right, and you're still going to draw a line, you just see that big dip in house rate, but we've since made it up, oh, yeah. right? So we're, yeah. we're obviously well past the 07 market when uh, when it was at its height before it crashed. But to go to your question on the mortgage thing, so here's a little, just some numbers I was looking at. So year over year, purchase mortgages are down 39%, right? Refis are down 86%. So we've seen mortgage uh, companies lay off some people because they just don't have the level of refis and nobody's going to be refined for quite a while. Yeah. Um, so purchase mortgages are down 40%. That's a little disconcerting if you're, let's say, in the you know, real estate game. However, the one thing that I do know is both in the agent world and the lender world, you're going to start to separate the pros from the novices. And I don't mean that to be mean. Um, we are now moved, let's all face it, it's been pretty easy to do business in the residential real estate arena over the last couple of years. We're now moving into a skill-based market, right? The savvy mortgage people and the savvy agents are going to be the one that are advising their clients. It's like, Hey, let's talk about a two, one buy down on the mortgage rate, right? Mm -hmm. Sellers are going to have to give some concessions right now. And let's just take a half a million dollar mortgage. Say the buyer puts 20% down. They got a $400,000 mortgage. I can get the seller to pay roughly, it's like 9,800 bucks. Let's call it 10 grand seller concessions. And instead of a 7% rate year one, you're going to get a 5% year two, it'll go up to six. And by year three, you'll be back to your seven. Now we enter, I think we all know that we're in a recession or I guess it depends how you define it. Anymore, Will you ask, right? What do they typically do to get us out of recession? They have to take their, you know, they have to lower rates at which time you more likely can then refi it. Um, I don't know what you guys think, but I think rates, like you said, historically, even if you look since like 90, 1990 to 2022 median, uh, interest rates somewhere between five and five and a half. So I don't, I think the days at 3% are long gone 4%. I don't see a scene. Let's get back to five, five and a half. That's what it was before COVID and the market seemed to be really good then. So hopefully we just get back to a 
reasonable three to six, three to six percent appreciation and rates in the fives and life will be good. Now, a skill-based market also means the real estate professionals, right? So you're going to see some weeding out in that market. The survivors are going to be the only realist, only going to be the real estate people that were smart enough to use like high quality professional imaging and marketing video from Beckshot. (laughs) Like you, 100%. (laughs) So, but you laugh at that, but go to the point. There's I'm only, not laughing at it. There's though. only two reasons a house sells is price and condition, right? And the number one job of a listing agent, first of all, you got to get the house ready, right? And we all know the job of good listing agents gets people through the door. If they're not using professional photography and the consumer expects high-end video at this point, if you're not doing that, well – you're probably going to be out the business very quickly because that is a skill base. Yeah, that, that iPhone video stuff is right out the window. So, oh, speak- but mine's really good. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, right, sure it is. I, I stick so to know what I know uh, well, and that's just selling real estate. I, so. I, I see a lot of both. I, yeah, sure. I, I believe you. I really believe you. How good it is. But if so you were, if you were video, to look at listings, though, right? Yeah. You could tell a seasoned agent from a non-seasoned agent based on the photos and the video, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you agree? Being Absolutely. That's your profession. Absolutely, I can tell. I can tell their annual production yeah. by looking at how they market. Correct. Yeah. And those are the ones I'm looking for because I want to pick that listing up when it doesn't sell because that was an agent that just doesn't have the skills to be able to, or do didn't that. care. And that's the market that we're moving into that I think is going to expose a lot. <laughs> if you're thinking about moving to Atlanta, here's what you want to know: um, moving out of New York. Pennsylvania, California, right? They're going to sell that million eight house. They're going to have a uh, 500, 600, a million dollar price. And they're going to have a pile, a bucket full of change left over to do something else with, right? So these are potential investor buyers. And I know you've been making big strides in short-term rentals lately. So let's talk a little bit about investment properties and short-term rentals. Okay. So people make mistake. By saying, oh, I'm going to get into the Airbnb business or I'm going to get into the VRBO business. No, you're getting into the short-term rental business, okay? Those are companies. STRs are not something that you're going to make money just playing around with and doing willy-nilly. You have to do your research and literally there are videos for every step of the way to put your STR together. So there's – I mean, my wife, she's in IT and she knows her way around uh, data uh, and I know my way around uh, real estate and values, but I had to watch videos and videos and videos and listen to podcasts of people that have done it so I wouldn't make those mistakes. So there's no excuse to to get it wrong and I lean on my investors that I've represented like Brad and and five or six of other guys that got four or five STRs. I lean on them and I go to them. I'm like, okay, guys, I'm going to do this. I'm not only going to sell you that house. I'm going to be investing myself. So what should I be doing? What should my wife and I be thinking about? And the first thing is, okay, here's a list of videos you need to watch. Just like when I talk to you, you know, I'm constantly saying, listen to this, watch this, take these notes, use these um, tools. And there's a lot of tools for success, but I see, I still see some lazy folks out there trying to um, just throw it out there. And the analytics on, let's just say, Airbnb sites have changed. And some of that has changed to the point where even seasoned uh, STR folks, I look at their site and I just, I'm like, why did they, why are the headers like this? Why are they doing this? And the percentages are going down on the bookings because of it, because people don't understand it. But I mean, I'm building an, uh, I'm building a good base of properties. I'm building a good base of uh, professionals like yourselves to help me be into this business. And like the client that's coming up from um, South Beach, I'm putting all of my pros in the car with her and we're going to 
we're going to take her to the stage that we got in at, and hopefully there's not going to be any pause or any hiccups. Are you up on the new Airbnb rule in Atlanta, the ordinance they passed about two houses and all that? Yeah, I saw that, but that's that's City of Atlanta ordinance. City of Atlanta, right? Specifically, and, and you have to live in the state. So they, yeah, they really so they're not allowing down. a foreign investor essentially, correct? From another state, you don't live in state in uh, state of Georgia. I know, and I know there's more a, than two. I know there's a short term rental association down there, and they are recommending not to register yet, not because they're not enforcing that rule to, at least until the end of the year. Yeah, and part of the part of the dispute is. They make you register at least one of them as your primary house. And I don't know. I, my guess is most of the short-term rental people are probably not using their primary house. No, of course and not. And so there's a, there's a point of nonsensical <laughs> nonsensicality in the ordinance, right, that they're trying to resolve. But does that apply across anywhere else or is that strictly in Atlanta? Thing? Well, right now, that's city of Atlanta. Now, there's other, there's other provinces. There's other uh, cities like Big Canoe. They've got some changes on their POA, and they're just, you know, they've got 240 rentals at Big Canoe, and there's 3,000 homes in Big Canoe, and they're all up in arms because of, you know, there's you bought 8% of the Big Canoe is is rental, short-term rentals, and that we should pay more because we're taxing the system more, which is well, the, Along nonsense. Lake Lanier, since these come out, that's become a little bit of an issue too because, I mean, I had a friend whose whole strategy was they went and bought like a million-two house, right, big house. And then they can go, you know, rent it out for three days over a weekend for a huge party of 40 for like 15, 20 K. The challenge is the people to the right or the people to the left may be homeowners and they don't want 40 cars and 40 people and be loud all night. So there are a lot of restrictions that Forsyth and um, some of those counties have put in there. So you really have got to do your homework. Um, I've stayed away from STR, not because of all of that. I just didn't get it in it early enough. But now it seems like a, as everything's transitioning, just being very careful. Well, We're going to talk about that afterwards. Your is other it, uh, no, I, I still think long term wise. Here's what I would say too: is for me, you know, because I've always flip and I do small holds in the areas that I know. If I was to go, the, the STR game definitely interests me because I am a long term holder. Yeah. I think the two things people need to know is one, there's a lot of noise with the Airbnb, right? You're talking people coming in and out. You got to be a good host. There's cleaning, there's all of that. So like you said, I think you got to go into the game knowing that this is a little more of a either hire a really good property manager. If you're going to do it, yes. know what you're getting into. Um, but I have seen cases where I've got friends that are making a fortune on the STRs. My point was, I just haven't studied the game enough. If I was going to go buy an STR up in uh, the mountains right now, I'd probably hire you or have somebody go show me because I just haven't taken the time to do the homework on it. There's a lot of details, and and you, there was a there was a big hubbub a couple of years ago. There was a bunch of house parties down in Buckhead in particular, um, where they were somebody would come in and rent out a nice house, and they would have two hundred, three hundred people at this all weekend party and they were, things were getting destroyed and people were getting shot and it ended up being party houses. And so one of the things that I like about big canoe is there's a gate that allows cars in or not. And Kusawadi, and there's a lot of subdivisions throughout Atlanta where you have to get through the gate to get through and you have to get a, a gate code or a gate pass. And that kind of alleviates that kind of a problem, which I'm, man, that makes tons of sense. But so you bought in Big Canoe, and, and Hartman also has at least yep. one in Big Canoe. Sold uh, Brad one three weeks ago in Big Canoe. And the, and the reason I like these STRs also, again, from a different perspective, because I don't own one, right, 
is I'm doing a team retreat uh, next week, next Thursday and Friday. And it cost me 2,500 bucks for two nights. Wow. Right. Well, I know a great place down in uh, downtown so, Atlanta you yeah. can use. Oh, you got to let me know. I know um, a bunch of properties. So, so you're, you're <laughs> Stacy, you're, um, exposure to investment real estate is a little different. You're doing construction flips. What, what all? Tell me about yeah. your, your version of investment real estate. Yeah. Or, so somebody recently corrected me. I always talked about flipping houses as an investment, which it's not really an investment, right? It's really I, speculation. It's what I've done uh, used for wealth, um, basically wealth acceleration, okay. right? Because it's taxed like ordinary income. So to me, it's not really an investment. The investments come into play, which is when you start holding properties, because that's when you get all the advantages of owning real estate, mm-hmm. right? I've got somebody paying down the mortgage. I've get to able, I still write off my taxes. I get to write off my mortgage interest. I get depreciation. When you get really savvy at the hold game, then you can get into special depreciation, depreciate it much quicker, start helping to offset some taxes. And then if you're a real estate professional, there are some carry law, uh, uh, carry forward loss and some other things you get an advantage of. So me, yeah, we use the flips a lot of times to accelerate our wealth because then if I can generate more capital, I can say, let's say I make a hundred grand on a house. Well, now I can take, you know, five sets of 20 K if you look at it that way for $20,000 deposits on five more yeah. rentals. So for me getting into, I've always just long long-term rentals mainly cause that's just been my comfort level. And I hadn't had time to get on the STR craze. Uh, but I am interested in that, especially in the secondary markets, like the mountains and, you know, around the lakes and everything George has to provide because we'll talk later. Stacy. Yeah. I, I don't I, think I that's stopping you. anytime soon. <laughs> I see stone over here listening and taking notes. He's, he's yeah. figuring out where to put all that big radio money. Exactly. Stone's going to have just, more than all of us. I'm handing all my money to Stacey. <laughs> the millionaire makers, the market masters yeah. right here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so short-term rentals in Atlanta have some unique features. I just shot one the other day that's becoming an Airbnb for $2,300 a night. Six bedrooms, 9,000 square foot place, right? It's a Cobra and Kai house. The Cobra Kai house, right. Yeah. They can, you can add yes. on to that a private chef, private jets in and out of Atlanta, exotic car rentals, limousine rentals. You know, this is a big deal place, right? So they're going to, they're looking to capture big dollars on every yeah. night that somebody's staying there. And it's a unique house, not only because of the film set, but also because it's an old Tuscan style via and the, yeah. the shower, the, the shower in the main bedroom with it, right? It does. Well, it's not an old house. It's just yeah. built like it. And, and the shower in the main bathroom is 14 by 14 with two no- nozzles coming out of the wall. Right. <laughs> right I mean, yeah. this is a party cold in there. It's a party yeah. shower. And, uh, <laughs> and every room, you know, it's built like a via, right? Every room yep. opens onto a courtyard or the swimming pool or an outdoor space of some sort. So you're never more than one door away from the outdoors. It's a really neat place. Well, you'll, the, you'll be shooting the parties at that house sometime yeah, soon. I, I don't know what I'm going to shoot. But that that, <laughs> what, what the house end up selling for? I know it's listed so like two one two two. It was two point four million. They the owners. Um, so what happened was Cobra Kai has rebuilt those interior sets in a soundstage now. Okay, it's much easier to control the light. Believe me, after being in there and shooting video, um, so they they get more control that way. And and um, so the owners. They're still shooting the exteriors there, at least occasionally. So the owners have said, I guess, you know, how, how do I replace that income, right? Yeah. Um, so one of their – whatever it is, they made the business decision to sell this into an LLC and operate as an Airbnb. So that's what they did. They put it yeah, in an LLC. Brilliant. And now it's, now it's going to become a high-end Airbnb. Well, do I think they could have done that 10 years ago? Probably no. Why do I think they can do it now? We're the Hollywood of the East Coast. Yeah, yeah. That's We right. are – 
Well, that show where, where is the rap the, came, where the rap, uh, you know, music uh, hub of the East Coast, where all Hollywood stars, like a lot of pro athletes, have. Like we're we are now a super diverse city mm-hmm. that anybody that wants something can get it in Atlanta. That particular show um, sh- shoots nearly all of their footage here. Yeah. Very, very little of it's actually shot in California where yeah. it's set. Exactly. A couple of, couple of pieces, but most of it's here in, uh, in that house, uh, down in union city is yep. where his, where Danny LaRusso's dealership is right. They're using one down in union city. Not really? So it's all around Atlanta. Yeah. And and there's a lot more too. They're hardly the only show shooting around here. Walking yeah. Dead was around here somewhere. For yeah, Stranger ever. Things. I mean, yeah, Rome, uh, Ozark. Like yep. I don't think people realize when I say you know Atlanta's the we have more uh, major motion pictures shot here than L.A. Mainly because of uh, Marvel, right? Marvel Studios is down south of town, and they're building another studio there. And there was a time when they had to bring all of the let's call them the technical people, right? The grips, the um, makeup artists, all that stuff. Well, now there is an actual, you know, school next to Marvel studios. So they all get trained. They don't have to come from California. They just walk next door into one of the two studios, walk their way right into the business. Here. Correct. I just well, sold a house there's... to a gal that's a makeup artist for all of that. And, yep. um, she makes fantastic money and she, her opportunities are just great. Well, um, think about the cost of living in LA versus Atlanta. Oh yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, look at, look at Tyler Perry studios alone. Look what he did with that old army base. Yeah. It's yeah. incredible. And then there's Trillith down there on the South side, which is a whole community literally built around the, the, the movie industry. Mm-hmm. And you can live there and work there on one side of the highway, it's houses and the other side, it's sound stages and offices and production suite. Yeah. And when you bought your place down in Pittsburgh, that's, we had these conversations about these opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's two miles from Tyler Perry and, yeah. uh, and, you know, you draw draw one mile circle around. There's probably 20 studios. In right, that's funny. Yeah, just right down the street from you. We just uh, we had a client. It's actually an internet lead. Um, we bought the house. We renovated it for him, and he just turned it into an STR. Mm-hmm. He works in the movie industry, and he's going to rent it out to you know all his connections within there. They all need a place to stay. He's like, hey, I got my place. Perfect. Here you go. Perfect. So, yeah. and so, um, so we kind of went down a rabbit trail there, but but that. Cobra Kai house is an example of how unique this short-term rental business can be and how, mm-hmm. you know, how you can find an angle and really play it. Right. Uh, I've got to figure if you're close to a stadium, that's a good investment. If you're close to the arts and the cultural centers of Atlanta. That's a good, that's a good investment. I rank them as an A plus an A minus and a B plus. Okay. So beach properties, obviously you got the beach. That's going to be a something, Right. Um, mountain properties like Blue Ridge, Ella J, Big Canoe, Helen, those are going to be A's for the most part because it's destination oriented. Then when you get in kind of the B plus, which you, you kind of like down in Pittsburgh, um, downtown Woodstock, downtown Roswell. I think downtown Roswell is an A plus because there's no hotels down there. There's nowhere to stay and they got all those convention centers. You, our office yeah. is there and there's no, there's, there's nowhere to stay down there. Correct. And so I personally push my investors to look in downtown Roswell. I'm looking for downtown Roswell all the time. Um, and I think there's going to be some opportunity in these cities like right around here as well. I'm looking at the, that house that I was telling you the other day about. That's downtown Woodstock. You can drive a golf cart downtown. Well, all those cities now are moving to you know Alpharetta downtown area like what, seven years ago? didn't exist. So yeah. they're all moving back to this little because of the only downside of like I've just talked about 
all the upside of it. Like, the only downside, as we know, is traffic. Traffic. So everybody's moving more to these t- like Holly Squares is in the, or Holly Squares. Holly Springs is in the process of building a little downtown area. So I'm with you 100. percent Anything down like in a downtown walkable golf cart. That's what people want. They want yeah. the experience, the shops, the restaurants. They don't want to have to go far for it. If we could just talk East Cobb into doing the same thing, right? <laughs> well, they're live. doing the avenue, so we'll see what happens. We there. got the Cobra Kai House. Yeah. Well, we got that going for us. Exactly on on Woodlawn, right over yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right behind Chick Fil A, <laughs> it's, it's gonna it's gonna fuel the, the right areas, behind the fifteen banks, the economic yeah. recovery of the whole area. Yeah, we got tire stores, so we got that going for us. Well, listen, you guys have been a strong presence on on the show here so far. So um, let's take a minute and talk about EXP. Sure, right? This is your chance to recruit or pitch your business or anything you want to do as far as uh, you know why EXP, EXP, what's good about EXP, and so forth. I'll, th- I'll throw it out there. So, you know, Robert runs his own business under Robert Mason, and then I've run mine under Stacey White Flag, right? And uh, EXP, there, there's been a big shift in, let's call real estate brokerages. Um, with technology and a lot of other things, um, the broker itself um, doesn't carry as much value to agents anymore, right? And that's not to diminish it, but, you know, if I asked a client this, would you pay me more, more commission? If I was my own broker or I was at EXP, they're going to, hell no, I wouldn't pay you more. My point exactly. EXP has basically given us a platform, a virtual platform um, that we are more connected um, with the agent, uh, let's say with the agent community uh, worldwide. Because EXP was a company that went, you know, I've been here three years. When I joined, they had 18,000 agents. They then jumped to like 50 and then we're already at 85,000 agents from, from 18 to 85. It's, it's historic growth. The only way they could do that is because it's not the old franchise system, right? Which I'm going to liken to Blockbuster. You got to have the master franchiser that then goes sells a region. The regional owner buys and then has to go sell market center or, you know, like market centers or franchises. And that takes time and money on a virtual brokerage. Like, and when I say virtual, like we literally have a piece of software, Robert and I, make our little avatars that look just like us. And is it wonky out of the gate? Hell yes. It was a little weird. It's like Sims world. I don't but, have the bald spot on my little guy. Yeah. Time. You know, and I couldn't get my tennis shoes or my fat belly just perfect. <laughs> but the cool thing is if I have a luxury listing in East Cobb next to, let's say I wanted to sell Cobra Kai's mansion, right? I literally can walk into the virtual software and I could talk to somebody in Dubai. I could talk to somebody in Italy. I could talk to somebody in London um, in my office that could sell that house. And so They've turned it where I like an EXP now to Netflix versus the old school broker model, um, model which is more of a uh, blockbuster type situation. The other piece I'll add into that is um, EXP is publicly traded. They actually you know, were a penny stock that has since grown to the NASDAQ. NASDAQ and they've got a large, larger market cap than Compass, Rheology, which includes Sotheby's, um, all the major franchises basically combined. So what does that do for the consumer and the agent? Well, for the agent – um, we're finally being treated like we're owners of the company, right? Versus the brokers making all the money. So Glenn, has, uh, the CEO of the company, has built a platform that not only could I um, build whatever type of business I wanted, it's allowed me to partner with guys like Robert, right? Robert and I, hell, we live less than 10 minutes from each other. We work in the same area. So I could like look at Robert and say he's a competitor of mine, right? I take more of an abundance mentality. Robert and I now can work together, and help each other with our businesses because he could do 100 transactions, I could do 100 transactions, and we may, may never do a deal together. So if you take an abundance mentality in this mindset, EXP is now leveraged. So the better Robert does and the better I do, the better the stock price does. And since EXP gives us stock, 
Renault owners. And then there's some other things you can do, earn revenue share and some other things. So the company has really put the agent first versus the broker first. Because at the end of the day, even if I likened it to Wall Street, the consumer doesn't care who's broker in the deal. Like if I'm going to buy stock, they don't care who's the clearinghouse to broker the deal. They just want to know that the deal got done. So nobody's paying us more, you know, the, the fact that um, I'm not my own brokerage. So we decided to build our businesses on the EXP platform. It's not like we're Sotheby's. We get extra money for that anymore. No. And, and th- this, that comes up so much. Um, and we could make it, I could make an easy pitch on how many luxury homes we've sold in comparison to the Sotheby's or Ansley's. Um, we're in a day of social media. You're in video. I can be my own spokesperson. I've got social media to my advantage. Your brand is stronger than the broker's brand. First of all, clients work with people. They don't work with the brokerage. Half the people think I'm my own brokerage because I'm branded so well. I wasn't branded so well four or five years ago. Now you're branded really well. They don't even know who EXP is. Most don't even bring it. Most of the consumers don't understand that. So the agents that I feel haven't developed a really strong brand lean on, well, I'm with Sotheby's because they hope it gets some uh, higher sales price. At the end of the day, it's your network of who's going to be in your Rolodex, right, to get you that business. And then you better hope you're branded really strong to be able to compete. We're in a time where, where these market paradigms are shifting. You know, um, in, in my world, I talk a lot. You're, you're playing right into presentations I make all the time about the fact that the advertising model is becoming largely obsolete, except in radio. And um, content marketing has taken over. So it's a very comparable subject to what you're just saying 100%. about your branding. Now, Robert, you yeah. moved to EXP, what, six months ago, something like that? Yeah, about five months ago. Five months ago? Yeah. So um, you came from Keller. And, Keller uh, Williams at eight years. And, and remember, remember, I knew Gary Keller back in Austin. So I, yeah. I, if you're blowing smoke up my skirt, I'm going to know it. How's the transition been for you? Well, I was with Remax back in the early 2000s. And um, Sean Rawls, who started Keller Williams, um, got wind of who I was. And I was doing some pretty good stuff over there. And Remax Credit Atlanta at the time was like the cat's meow. We were, we were doing more business than everybody. And so I came to a couple of meetings with Sean Rawls. And I was really, really impressed with what Keller Williams was doing. And it was the new wave. It did take over from the, the Remaxes of the world, the, the other guys. And so having spent eight years there being on the uh, leadership council, um, help leading a team that I was a part of for a while – I started to get the impression that the company was moving away from agent friendly. And for years we were called the technology company because nobody else had the training and stuff like that. It started moving away from us. Um, Stacy left a bunch of good agents left my ex-wife who recruited me to Keller Williams ex-wife. And she actually recruited me kind of to EXP as well. So we're still connected there, which is a good thing. Um, but Stacy and I had been doing some deals and we've been talking and I've been bringing some deals to him. And I have so much respect for Stacy. I was like, at some juncture, I want to hook my wagon somewhat, some sorts of way with Stacy Wyatt. And um, it was the right time. And Stacy and I sat down and he gave me the, the, the tour, the 5,000 foot tour of what the company looks like. And one of the things that, that attracted me to EXP was – Brick and mortar costs a lot of money, right? And so all of these real estate companies are spending an inordinate amount of money on brick and mortar, office space, uh, employees. And having had a peek behind the uh, curtain when I was with the ALC, I saw the numbers that that were being spent on all of this stuff. 
And what that in did, what that did was it was less monies to go to the agents. One of the great things about EXP, whenever I have a, a closing, I had a $16,000 check come out the other day from a closing and a certain amount of my a percentage of that went towards EXP stock. I never saw the amount. I literally don't even know how much goes out of my check to my stock portfolio for EXP. At a 10% discount. At a, at a discount where stocks right now are being discounted altogether. Yeah. And five years from now, when the stock market goes back up or however long that takes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be stockpiling all of this stock at cheap prices, and it's going to be worth even more. I like the idea of the virtual uh, platform because I don't need to go to an office. I don't need to bump into people. I don't need to talk to people. I need to be talking to people who can buy and, real, can buy and sell. I'd go to Keller Williams and I'd get caught up training people and, and giving people advice and sitting down with people that you know want to get to where I'm at, which I, I love teaching and training and giving people knowledge, right? Because the stronger our industry is, the better they're going to be, the better we're going to look. And, and we get a reputation, you know, realtors. I was on a podcast Sunday night and it was talking about the Second Amendment and concealed carry for realtors. And I was the, the expert in that uh, on on that subject matter. Uh, now this is Georgia. Every realtor's got their forty five in their pocket or their handbag, right? <laughs> you know, and no. if not, why not? <laughs> Glock yeah. is my choice. Yeah, but, yeah, I'm a Glock guy too. Glock, okay, Glock. And this particular show ended up being the number one watched podcast for these guys. Two Alphas Talk, and it's with Saber Team Tacticals. Yeah, I've, where I've I seen shoot. that. Yeah, Saber Team. It, it was their number one show by far. We had thirty five people calling in. It was. It was impressive stuff, and it was great. It was Sunday night, 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock. Um, that being said, I wanted to hitch my wagon with Stacy. He gave me a lot of reasons why that was a good idea, and all I can say is, man, that was the right decision, and EXP is is the new kid on the block. It's got to be. And if I was just to tie that out, it, there's just been a, it's been a shift in the business model. You know, In the ni- 1900s, early 1900s, Cole Banker um, – high split to the broker, low split to the agent because it was, um, there was no technology, right? Broker had all the information. Then it moved, you can argue century 21, but then Remax really came in with a high split model. Their agents keep more, but they pay high, higher on a monthly. Then Keller Williams came in and being brought in new model in uh, Remax model ended up not being market resistant. So when the market crashed back in 10, how many agents can pay that high of an office bill? Even if they're getting 95% of their commission, they couldn't. Many of the Remax Offices went, you talk about Sean Rawls went belly up. They all came to work for KW because KW in or they brought in the cap where an agent only pays in, you know, in Atlanta, 18,000 after that for your anniversary, you get to keep rest of your money and they brought profit share. So they brought in a brilliant model, right? I was KW 10 years. You never hear me say a bad thing. But then I saw this new kid on the block come out and seeing where the market's going. The Netflix first blockbuster. I'm like, wow, these guys are commissions are shrinking expenses are not going down. They're going up. How long are these, you know, blockbusters, these old franchises going to last? I saw the virtual model being treated like an owner. So I don't have to go own a blockbuster and it's just the new wave. Now you're seeing all the knockoffs of EXP come out. Um, all the new brokers, there's some couple KW agents that left and modeled their new brokerage after the EXP structure real. And some of these other knockoffs have all come in to do that. So you, you I think you kind of know when you're doing it right. And was everybody else starts to copy you. Yeah. So your paradigm is changing from who used to control the information. Now it's more, it's more and more going about how easy can you make people engage with the information and who's got the Correct. farthest reach on their branding well, and their, and their 
customer contact, their customer relationships. hundred percent. And that's why people hire you to do video. It's exactly why. Because I'm now like, I look at the Stacy Wyatt group is it's much bigger than me now, right? It's, you know, I'm now responsible for 14 people on my team and it's no longer about Stacy Wyatt. I'm now a spokesperson for the brand. So I hire somebody like yourself to do video because, and this is a perfect example. I've got a guy. What a great idea. Yeah, great idea. 30 days in my, uh, Jorge is another friend of ours. that's in our group. Uh, started a YouTube channel and he has produced 30, I think something like 30 videos. And this is less than 30 days. He's already got 11,000 views and he's already probably got eight to 10 people off of that. Now he's got a little bit of a niche cause he's, he's uh, bilingual putting all his stuff in Spanish. He's already got three or four leads off of that. That right. stuff's working while he's sleeping. Right. And, so not, not only is it working when you're sleeping, but it's working everywhere all at once, everywhere, global, no matter where, you know, in Ukraine, during the middle of the war, it's still working for you if somebody wants 100%. to find out about you. You know, it was interesting. When I first started doing video way back, I made this stupid little video for my off-roading stuff about how to build an off-road trailer frame, right? Because I was building a little oh, you camper. you way ahead of your time. Yeah. I was pulling a little <laughs> camper, uh, building a little camper I could pull behind my 4x4, four four, right? And uh, you know, my friend was welding it up because he knew how to weld, and I'm, a, I'm worse at welding than I am at golf. <laughs> And, um, <laughs> Which is saying you and I shouldn't be golf partners. Though. So I had smoke and I had sparks golf. and all that, and t- talked about a little bit about the. You know, I'm a, I'm a former naval engineer. Yeah. Before the teams, I was on a ship. I was an engineer, and so I kind of had an idea of how to build this, much like a ship is constructed. Right, made a neat little trailer that only weighed 800 pounds at the end, so you could pull it behind a, a, a Tesla if you wanted to, and um, a Leaf or a Prius, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> And so um, not through salt water though. So I put this video on, on my, I had a YouTube channel for my off-road stuff. Right. And I put it up there and I kind of forgot about it. You know, I occasionally get a message and I'd answer it and all that. And one day I was looking and uh, it had 37,000 views on that one thing. And I was like, well, order some trailers, man. I'll build them for you. <laughs> yeah. But it was really cool. Video has reach that you just, you just don't expect. Yeah. Yeah, and so when you say if you're comparing kind of the older model brokerages, right? I think the forward-looking brokerages understand that the agent is now uh, the brand yeah. and the consumer that, you, and you're the tightest to the consumer. So if they're not using video, they're not on social media. We have the ability to have our own. Um, I do think radio is still a huge play. We're looking into that now. Um, I do think billboards still have a little bit of play in the game. I struggle with you know everybody in their car staring down at their phone. Um, but those still have pretty great reach, um, at least for now, but if agents aren't using video and social media to basically act like their own, uh, TV station, yeah. have you, um, that is the new way of everything. And, and it, it sets us up to leverage. If I'm sitting in here doing a podcast, I'm not out lead generating, right? And that's the old school. But if I've done a hundred videos on what it's like to be in Atlanta, my fav- favorite, of uh, you know, favorite five dog parks, that stuff's living and operating while we're here, and I could have three, you know, DMs when I get back saying, "Hey, I want to move to Alpharetta." Well, you know, commercial brokerages have for so long been a good old boy thing, and it's all about the Rolodex control of information, right? Yep. They're not as they're not as advanced as the residential people yet on the use of marketing and on videos and on ways of creating contact with their clients, but some are here and there. Um, Michael Burr down in Atlanta uh, found out about him through the CCC group. Hi, Chris Meyer. And um, and uh, spoke to him the other day. He's been doing a a panel, you know, a TV style panel, commercial real that. estate show, every day for ten years. He's been doing. 
I think Robert needs to talk to him. Yeah. And he's, yeah. and he might be a good fit somewhere. Yeah. You know, he's, he's killing it. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, well, he gets it. He the market gets the is modern changing. day marketing. Yeah. Right. It's changing. Yeah. I mean, I've got at this point, three VAs in the Philippines mm-hmm. that do a ton of stuff for me. Right. Let's like figure out who are your people to build your marketing machine. So. Yeah. Well, listen, um, the last time you were here, I drove the whole discussion today. I kind of have to making you talk about things. Maybe you wouldn't rather talk about like interest rates, you know? So, um, let me throw it open a little. What do you guys want to talk about? Jump in there, Robert. Go ahead. Stace. Um, well, I think it, to your point earlier, which you're talking about it just because I do talk to a lot of agents. Um, my friend put, it, he think there's going to be a bloodbath in first quarter for agents, mortgage brokers, just where the things are moving. Right. Because the majority of agents have gotten the business in the last five or six years. So they've known nothing but a good market, right? So now we are talking to a skill-based market. So I do think there's going to be a thinning of the herd, both in agents and mortgage brokers, which transactions are already down 20%. Um, and so there's less volume. But as the agents, it's a tough market, right? Because it's a weird market and you're having to give good advice to sellers and buyers. But the beauty of it is, and I wrote this down, so I pulled it up the other day. The bright side of this is... You know, real estate is one of three basic human needs, all right? Shelter, water, water, and food. And for all the reasons, and don't want to come off too trite, but death, debt, divorce, deployment, displacement, meaning like relocation, disease, COVID. And then I say delivery for people having babies. Those are all reasons people need to buy and sell. Like D's of the apocalypse there. <laughs> but, you know, listen, life still happens. People are still going to have to buy and sell. Yeah. And, you know, you go back and look at the 80s when – you know, interest rates were in the teens to high twenties. Um, real estate's still going to transact. When I got in the business in two ten, and it, I thought that there was nobody buying and selling. Well, everybody in healthcare and military complex and everybody else needed to buy and sell. So, my advice to agents would be: it's like, listen, you need to get in an environment that you are learning in a learning based environment, and you better be building some muscles because we are in a skill based market. The good news is there's going to still going to be people to serve that are going through all of those different life changes. Right. Um, and not to get your head off of nightline news. If you aren't already, like you're being so programmed right. at that point, because 90% of this business is mindset. And when I say it's between the six inches between your ears, 10% of skills. So where I am saying we're moving to a skill best skill based market if your mindset's not right, I don't care if you're in real estate, mortgage, video, or selling widgets. To me is get your mind right or get yourself in an environment that's going to give you the right mindset to succeed regardless. Because I actually like down markets more than I like up markets. So, As much as I would like to say that my transition out of corporate America and, and into Beckshot is the best decision I ever made, it's really only the second best one I ever made. What was your first? Getting rid of TV. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Robert, what's on your mind? So I'll segue on the back of what he just said. Uh, I too think, you know, I've already seen it. There's a big, there's a big um, negative loss of realtors and mortgage bankers and people that are in the real estate business, whether it be title companies, whether it be attorneys that just got in. Um, like 2008, we saw like a, a reduction of at least 35 to 40% of the actors. And when I say actors, whether it be builders, whether it be closing attorneys, real estate agents, there was a, there was a big, big shift in that market. We're going to see a bunch of that happening now. Um, I try to tell people and Stacy's already said, it's all about mindset. Okay. Life is about mindset. And a lot of people get stuck 
on what happened or the baggage that they've got or a failure that they came through. And and one of the simplest things I tell people is the windscreen in your car is bigger than your rearview mirror for a reason. Okay, don't forget what happened in the past, but keep looking forward. Keep keep finding ways to move forward and to modernize your business. Like what we're doing right here with Stone and doing with you with videos and whatnot. And you and I talk about this a great deal. Okay. You've got to figure out what is working in the marketplace if you're going to stay in this market as a realtor or a mortgage person or anything else. And you've got to put in the mat time. I use mat time and I'm a mobile wrestler. You know, the more I wrestled, the better I was. And the more time you spend figuring out what works, what are the analytics, really know them, don't just make it up. Um, and, and, and keep persevering and don't listen to the naysayers. There's a lot of people out there. I wrote a post on Facebook today and I meant to, to make people mad. Basically, um, I have friends and, and folks around me that they're just negative. They start with their injuries or their illnesses and, and everything else. When I call them on the phone or I see them out, Hey man, how you doing? And that's an open invitation to tell me about all your woes. I don't want to hear that. You know, I got my own woes. I've had my own injuries and my own stuff that's happened, but I'm not going to tell you all that stuff. What I'm going to tell you is what I can do and how we can do it and how we can have fun and how we can move forward. So I definitely think that there's going to be some challenges next year, but there's going to be some opportunities because wealth is driven in rough times. And I'm going to be there and I can help folks do that. And I appreciate the opportunity to come on the air, Stone Presents, and what you do for us. And Stacy saying, come on over, Robert. I mean, I'm in the catbird seat here, and I'm going to try to take advantage of it and and love while I'm doing it. And, and to put a bow tie on that, what I've been telling people is control what you control. You and I can't control rates, no. right? But I can control my attitude, and I can control my resourcefulness to be able to go find out, find out how people win. And then a simple one that that I stole the other day was, and work works. What we've been doing for the last few years, we have to double that, yeah. right? There's going to be double the effort. So work works. Just do the work. And then the last is I think a lot because you left corporate. I left. I got introduced to out of corporate uh, because when the market crashed last time and I you couldn't pay me, my wife would shoot you if, she, <laughs> if you told me I had to go back to corporate and take a job. So I am going to say to all those people not to be so tough on them. I think they have to go back to their why and decide why did they get into the business in the first place? put in the work and the effort because work works, right? And um, figure out what it is that's really driving them to to uh, move through tougher times. Yeah, that, that corporate thing. You, you remember Fleetwood Mac, Lindsey Buckingham, never going back again. <laughs> yeah. um, I love that. So we talked a little bit about video. You guys should check out TMZ, their website or their Facebook page because they picked up the Cobra Kai shoot in an article yesterday. So those photos are on there too. So love li- that listing architectural style listing photos, right? All you real estate people com. pay attention. There's a great example on there and it's getting national attention. Yeah. So all your work then is on an Airbnb promoting the, uh, promoting this house for that house. It's an Airbnb um, love it. or it's on Verbo and it, yeah. he's iTrip. So and what it's it, all your work. Ralph right? Ariemo is the property manager. He's on iTrip broker with a, a specific territory here. And I do all his work for him. Nice. So this this work is all oriented for the, the work for this house is all oriented at its Airbnb status. Cool. And we we shot a, a banging video of it that's going to be out in a few days. 
Nice. And, uh, but no, the photo, Orbang, the and photo. Robert was in it. Yeah, he called me and he said, come on over, man. Can't help you there. Guns. I did invite him to He did. Though. He did. And I was busy. So let's use Stone as a proxy for the audience here. Have yeah. we left anything out? Is there anything you want to know or that we, that we very stupidly forgot to talk about? Well, of course, I don't know what I don't know. But to me, it was informative. It was inspiring. I think I just want to give Stacy all my money. And I just want to hang out with Robert and just like <laughs> – and just go see some of these places because no, it, it, simultaneously you guys built my confidence and interest in uh, real estate investing, but you very clearly made it uh, abundantly uh, clear to me. If you're going to do this, you got to do it with some professionals that have some expertise and experience in this. Otherwise, a guy like me, man, I could just absolutely lose my shirt because I'll get going down the, the wrong, wrong path. Yeah. yeah. DIY is the same in video, real estate. Home construction, whatever it eventually shows, it starts looking like DIY at some point. <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah, professionalism shows enough you care to get it right. Yeah, it sure does. All right, well, that's a wrap, guys. Let's wrap there. And uh, thank you guys for coming out. I really appreciate you coming again. Thank yeah. you, Stone, for having us on and Thanks, devoting Stone. some of the airtime. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Big Daddy. And congrats <laughs> on the TMZ. Give me your hard yeah. work's paid off. Who ya? Yeah, yeah. All right, until next time, this is Stone Payton for our guest host today, Randy Beck, Robert Mason, and Stacy Wyatt, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you again on Cherokee Business Radio.